engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Atlanta's evening news this Friday evening. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk if you want to be part of the show. Uh, Sadness across New Zealand today with this shooting. I I do want to spend a little bit of time delving into what we know and what we don't know. And I think it is most fitting to remind you just how single-mindedly obsessed American news networks are with tying everything to President Trump. There's a time and a place to talk about President Trump. One of my pieces of, of advice to CNN as they start this uh, fight with Fox News is that you don't have to focus on the president so much. There's plenty of other news out there that's not about the president, but in fact, it appears that there's so much rot at CNN that everything must be about the president. We're finding this at other news networks as well. MSNBC, not much better. Everything is about the president. Not everything is about the president. And what we know about this shooter is that much of what he said was designed to troll. It was a very interesting situation. The New York Times has a story about the internet troll. Essentially, this is the first internet meme-driven mass shooting, if you will. Uh, The New York Times, the headline on the front page, Gunman appears steeped in far-right culture. That, that's the headline. But if you actually click into the story, they've changed the headline. With the chain, they changed it to something that's actually accurate. A signs point to gunmen steeped in internet trolling, and he does appear to be trolling. For example, he mentioned uh, that he learned his racism from Candace Owens, uh, the, the black American um, spokeswoman for what a, whatever the group is, Turning Point USA with Charlie Kirk. Uh, And it's clear that he doesn't mean it, but this morning it was seized on by left-wing activists to attack Candace Owen. At the same time, he also appears to praise Donald Trump and then smears Donald Trump in his manifesto, saying the president has been great for mobilizing white people, but terrible on actual policy. He seems to be an eco-nationalist who believes that uh, third world countries and religions are causing overpopulation and they need to be killed to preserve the white people who aren't overpopulating. Uh, he sympathizes with the Chinese in that they have a, a one government rule and ruthlessly exterminate the other. It is clearly a, a racist ideology that he's propagating in addition to all the trolling that he's doing. And he clearly has fed off of internet trolling. In fact, he live streamed his shooting so that his friends in internet troll communities could see what was going on, many of them cheering him on. But then that brings us back to the U.S. media, where the the the, the finer talking heads and, and scholars of American media, well, it was all about Donald Trump. You ask for God to change people's hearts. Yeah. I have a question for you. Does God need to change people's language? President Trump, uh, whether uh, intentionally or I think in a lot of cases, even inadvertently, has provided a lot of fodder for people like this. Words do have consequences. And we know that at the very pinnacle of power in our own country. You mean the president talking about it? I mean, I know it's hard to even call this out. I've heard this from a guest this morning. This shooter, according to these reports, specifically invoked our president as an inspiration. You asked Matthew earlier about, is there someone out there tonight who's going to hear Trump's rhetoric and act on it? We know that lots of far-right attackers have claimed to be Trump supporters in recent months. And there's an intolerance that's being spread in this country, in this world, and it comes from the political dialogue. Let's be clear, it comes from political leaders. Words have consequences, like saying we have an invasion on our border. The language he uses in this manifesto is all about invaders. It's also language that President Trump used in a campaign ad before the midterm election. Why they're uh, seeing inspiration from our own president, John, is you have a president who, when he was a candidate, talked about banning Muslims from entering this uh, this country. So this is a president um, who has given plenty of rhetorical ammunition, I think, to terrorists like this. We need to be mindful in our own rhetoric and in our own actions, how we're pushing it. Maybe we need to hear a little less from the president in terms of his his rather incendiary 
uh, inflammatory rhetoric on you know, uh, racial or ethnic matters. I know earlier the president tweeted out a message of sympathy to the victims, but the president of the United States need to, needs to go further. You'll, we know for certain that the individual who committed the atrocious acts in Christchurch, New Zealand, wanted this sort of analysis to happen. And the media has played right into his hands. That's not me extrapolating. It's very clear from his writings that he wanted to praise divisive figures so that the media would attack them. And he wanted to amplify this sort of divisive rhetoric. He wanted people fighting each other. That That's why he did what he did. He actually hoped, according to his manifesto, and again, there's a lot of internet trolling in there. You have to be careful and, and try to figure out from the manifesto what kind of plays well together and, and what are the internet memes he dropped in there. But one of the things he seems very sincere on, one of the things that's very consistent in what we know so far about this individual is that he very much wants to spark civil strife around the world, and in particular in the United States, he wants to spark a civil war. In fact, one of the things he says is he used guns to help the anti-gun crowd. He used guns to harm gun culture. He, he hopes that there will be greater impetus for people to go after people's guns, sparking civil unrest and civil war and dividing up nations. Uh, it, just a deeply demented person from a deeply demented corner of the internet. And I do think it is fair to say this probably is the first mass shooting of the internet age per se. There have certainly been shootings that happened while the internet was around, but this is one that was designed for the internet. And that's something new. He timed it. He advertised it. He live streamed it to get a maximum internet audience. He made sure to put it live streamed on multiple outlets so people could comment on it and watch it while it was happening. He incorporated internet memes into what he was doing. The song he listened to that you could hear playing in the background of his car as he's going from one shooting to the other was a, a song that Serbian white nationalists had embraced uh, during the days of the Serbian war that has become an internet meme in the last couple of years for racists. One of the problems I have with the way the media covers this, with the blame Donald Trump on, on all counts, is that it forces people into an immediate defensive position. So what I mean by this is it forces people into a defensive position and that you have Republicans say, wait, 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 the president has nothing to do with this. And then, of course, you have the reporter say, oh, the president used the word invasion for what's happening at the southern border. This guy's using invasion. Therefore, they're related. And that's that's dumb analysis, to be quite frank with you. But there are progressives who are listening to the program right now who think it's not. We're talking past each other in language. And it forces a defensive reaction. You bring the president into it, it forces a defensive reaction. And what gets downplayed in all of this is that there actually is a growing white nationalist, white supremacist movement, and it is global. It's not just in the United States. It is really uh, self-centered nonsense, I think, for the American media to say it's sparked by the president. It was here well before the president. It is pervasive in parts of Europe and was well before President Trump was elected. It also exists in other parts of the world. It is an evil terrorist ideology just as much as radical Islamist jihad is. One divides based on religion. The other divides based on race and ethnicity. They are all terrorism. They are all bad. But the way the media forces this into a Donald Trump analysis, the way the media forces us to weave Donald Trump into these conversations where he doesn't belong, I mean, we know, we can tell, it is obvious from the manifesto of, the, of this individual that he name-dropped Candace Owen and Donald Trump and, and others because he wanted the media to fixate on them, and, and they played into his hands doing this. And in so doing, they're ignoring the larger ideological issue. There are people who deeply resent mass migration. 
They deeply resent mass migration because they think it is changing people's culture. There are people who are tied to this idea of blood and soil nationalism, and they see anyone who is not of the blood and of the soil to be bad. That we have them in this country. They undermine the American dream, a dream for people who were born here and for immigrants. And it's happening abroad. And one of the reasons that it is happening is because there are a lot of people who feel that elite political leaders have ignored the concerns of uh, people, of blue-collar workers, of others, that immigrants are taking their jobs. And as more and more people say, you're not allowed to say that, you're not allowed to talk about it, you're not allowed to engage it, what they do is they go to the dark recesses of the Internet. And in the dark recesses of the Internet, they get these fevered dreams where their soul is poisoned, and they do things like this. But the media would rather turn this into an immediate conversation about Donald Trump when he was not at play in New Zealand. He was not involved in New Zealand. He did not inspire New Zealand. And it's sad because these are conversations that need to be had, particularly in light of this. But we're not going to have them because the Trump supporters are now on defense. The media is clearly getting the story wrong just based on anyone who knows anything about internet trolling knows they're getting the story wrong. And this guy who is, is in jail now is laughing about all of it, people doing exactly what he wanted them to do, which was to go after each other, blame each other, yell at each other, and ignore that there actually is a problem out there that needs to be addressed. Not all of us sleep the same way. 63% of Americans sleep on their sides. I'm one of them. My butterfly pillow gives you support in the places you need it most, keeping neck and spine in alignment throughout the night, even if you switch sides. My Butterfly Pillow, it's patented sleep technology that elevates your head to where you need it. It includes a place to fit your arm and a pillow and a pillow for your ear. It's soft, it's comfortable, you can stay in one position all night. The height of My Butterfly Pillow is adjustable. Do you fall asleep to white noise, meditative sounds? My Butterfly Pillow has Bluetooth-adapted night owl speakers so you can listen to music, sounds, or even smart TV. Now, I would like to tell you all about My Butterfly Pillow. My Butterfly Pillow, they sent me one, and I got to use it one night. And then my kid confiscated it and hasn't given it back. Loves it. Uh, has a 3.5-millimeter um, jack. Can plug in an iPad or an iPhone or an iPod and listen to music through the night while they sleep. Surrounding themselves with music. Very comfortable pillow. They love it. They, they're the ones who swear by it. So listeners to The Eric Erickson Show can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout, and you'll get My Butterfly Pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental United States. Go to MyButterflyPillow.com and enter code ERIC at checkout. You'll save $30 and get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com. The checkout code is ERIC. It will change the way you sleep. Makes me want to play my Atari. It's actually called 8-Bit, the song. <laughs> All right. There was a walkout today. It didn't really affect anybody around here, but in New York City and L.A., San Francisco, a few other places, there were walkouts of students in schools over climate change. I really think it is a level of, of mental abuse against these kids that they're being told by people that they have no future. The world is over in a decade or 12 years, if you believe Beto. Oh, we got to get into Beto, dear. Uh, but to tell these kids that the world is over, there's nothing you can do. Climate change is irreversible. We're, we're screwed. I this is, this is not healthy for kids. It's also not true. It is factually not true. And yet that's what environmental nuts are telling kids and, and left-wing progressive parents who have bought into this ideology. Y'all, this I, I want you to understand this really is a religion. It really is a religion. It is based not on science, but on faithful adherence to certain tenets. 
It has a concept of sin. We're all polluters and it has a concept of redemption. We can change this together, but it has a fatal flaw that separates it from a true religion like Christianity. And that is that the sinners can repent of their ways, but as long as there are still other people who are sinning, even the repentant are toast. The only way for the repentant to be redeemed is to destroy those who still sin. That's not healthy. We've seen these sorts of ideologies before, and they all end badly for a lot of us. But that's what they tell us, that we've all got to give up our existence. And then you've got people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who says, I'm just living life as it is. I'm not going to recycle until the rest of you recycle. There's a lot of that too. The Hollywood celebrities who take the private jets fly around the world to tell us we've all got to stop flying. This isn't healthy. It's not, it's not psychologically well-balanced. And you're imposing it on kids, telling them that they have no, there's no point in them living unless we are all in this together and change it because it's not going to happen. We're not going to give up cows tomorrow. It's too popular. When we come back, Beto O'Rourke, oh, the Democrats are dropping opposition research on him. It's unbelievable. Seven two zero seven five zero one eight hundred WSB Talk. Wow, the opposition research is just unfurling about Beto O'Rourke. Now, keep in mind, all of this opposition research that's coming out in the last twenty-four hours existed in two thousand eighteen, and it's coming from media organizations that had it in hand in twenty eighteen, but they refused to run the stories. This is another example of media bias. It really is because they had these stories. Reuters has done a deep dive into Beto O'Rourke being involved in an infamous hacking group. When Beto O'Rourke was a teenager, he wrote um, murder fantasies. Yeah, let me read you part of what Beto O'Rourke wrote as a a teenager. Uh, All of this stuff, again, the media had this stuff. Here's one of the things Beto O'Rourke wrote. One day, as I was driving home from work, I noticed two children crossing the street. They were happy, happy to be free from their troubles. This happiness was mine by right. I had earned it in my dreams. As I neared the young ones, I put all my weight on my right foot, keeping the accelerator pedal to the floor, until I heard the crashing of the two children on the hood and then the sharp cry of pain from one of the two. I was so fascinated for a moment. That when after I had stopped my vehicle, I just sat in a daze, sweet visions filling my head. This is a man who wants to be president of the United States. And he wrote that. He re- Now, yes, he wrote it as a teenager. I, I get that. He, he's written other things. As he grew, he wrote other things. He continued to have the, these murder fantasies that he would write. Uh, among other things, uh, and some of the stuff that's coming out from his college days as well. Oh, I mean, he would make Brett Kavanaugh blush. But the media had all of this stuff in 2018. They knew these things in 2018. These things haven't changed. But they held it because Beto was running against Ted Cruz. Yeah, listen, you don't even have to call me. I I know some of you are yelling at your radio right now. Robert, Robert, not Beto. Robert Francis O'Rourke. Robert Francis O'Rourke. Yeah, whatever. The media had all this stuff. And now Beto, of course, he, he's, he's come out now and declared that uh, solving the environmental problems, they're like Normandy. How could we, who used to be the indispensable nation, be the only country that has removed itself from any obligation to work with anyone on perhaps the most pressing problem? If you think of our leadership, those who preceded us, right? Those who were on the beaches in Normandy, those who faced an existential threat to Western democracy and our way of life, they showed us the way. We, we can all come together, we can unite, we can marshal the resources, and we can convene the countries of the world around otherwise unsolvable problems. Ah, uh, yes. And then you know what he did? He, he, we've got 12 years left, Beto O'Rourke said, 12 years left. And then he got on social media and begged for money to buy fossil fuels to fill up his minivan to travel Iowa. Now, here's the most interesting thing about Beto O'Rourke. All the other Democratic candidates have announced how much money they've raised in the first 24 hours. O'Rourke, 
is refusing. He won't say. Meanwhile, female Democratic activists are coming out today assailing him for getting into the race. Um, Democrats are out there assailing him on all this nonsense. Um, They are out to get him. They are out to force him out of the race. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. That's an excellent point uh, Charlie makes. The, the, the amount of money, they're still bitter about that. The Abrams campaign is bitter about that. You know, Stacey Abrams here in Georgia, Beto O'Rourke overshadowed her campaign. She got on the cover of Time, but otherwise Beto got all the attention and he took all that money from Claire McCaskill, who's out to get him. From, um, oh, several of the other Democrats who lost, they're all out to get him. Bill Nelson in Florida, upset he lost. Uh, to Rick Scott, he blames Beto O'Rourke in part for his loss. Um, what's her name in Arizona? Uh, cinema, Kristen cinema. She won and she blames the closest of the race on Beto O'Rourke depriving her of money in Texas because he wouldn't share. He wouldn't give the money to other Democrats. And then you've got Andrew Gillum in Florida. He would have been the first black governor in Florida. And Beto O'Rourke overshadowed him is selfish, selfish candidate. And they loved him when he was against Ted Cruz, but now they're really, really nursing those crutches. It's going to come back to haunting. It's just fascinating now to see him not want to release his fundraising totals. You would think if it was good, he would want to brag. Now, of course, there are people saying, oh, well, he just he doesn't want people to know. Um, nah, I think if he raised a ton of money in 24 hours, particularly Bernie Sanders raised millions of dollars. And Beto O'Rourke bragged about his online fundraising prowess. And now he's choosing not to. I'm choosing to infer the numbers are probably disappointing. Nate Silver's pointed this out as well. Uh, he thinks the same thing. Um, it would be a good troll if the numbers were actually good and he delayed releasing them just to draw the media off sides and mess with their expectations, but not sure his campaign has that gear. I'm... Beto O'Rourke says that when he plans to release his fundraising figures, it'll be soon. I don't have a definite plan. We're not ready to release them now. I asked if he said if he would top Sanders. He said, we'll see. I, I Look, maybe he wants to top Bernie Sanders. Maybe he wants to show he can do that. But I don't know. The Democrats are coming after him now with all this opposition research on him. Uh, you've got the, the, the murder poetry. He was in a hacker group. He more likely than not broke the law. Uh, now women are coming forward from time in college saying he was deeply chauvinistic in college, misogynistic in college. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking there may be something there. Um, and he was a furry. Yes, we can't forget the furry. I can't wait for some. I want to be the one. But so the Daily Beast actually has a big story today about how the president uh, has been. You know, this is so funny. So behind the scenes here, I, I can let you guys in. This is a Friday afternoon. I'll let you know the joke. Uh, we've been laughing at a lot of you behind the scenes. I shouldn't say a lot of you. There, there aren't that many of you. But, you know, occasionally we get these very butthurt uh, calls from Donald Trump supporters. I don't know why the president would ever listen to you. I, I I have no idea why you think you're special. I just, I got no idea. You're never Trumper. Meanwhile, he and I, we've been talking on the phone. He's been calling me since January. Been up to the White House. Met with the vice president. Had lunch in the West Wing. And, and on all these people, the president, I can't believe you think you're someone the president would listen to. Oh, he's been calling the house. the The Daily Beast has a has a big story of today about how the the president has been putting the hard press on me since January, trying trying to woo me, and um, was appreciative of me saying I would support him. It's a very funny story. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, so I was putting actually our Christmas tree and, and stuff in storage and had my hands up inside the tree trying to push it into place so it wouldn't fall over when the phone rang, and I didn't answer it because I thought it was CNN. And they called right back. It was an unlisted number, and I figured I had to. And, and I couldn't let go with my right hand to get my hand down into my pocket to get my phone. And I had my Apple Watch on, so I leaned my nose forward. And I answered the phone while I was holding the Christmas tree up. And this voice on the other end of the phone says, is this Eric Erickson? And I said, yes. She says, please hold for the President of the United States. And sure enough, it was President Trump and Vice President Pence calling from the Oval Office. Uh, and... Thus began my interaction and conversations with them. And the Daily Beast has the story up. I pushed it out on social media. You can check it out if you want. Um, some details the White House asked me not to delve into, and they kept mum. But nonetheless, uh, and I'm not sharing them with you either. But 
it's just it's been kind of funny to get the, these hateful, angry notes from bitter Trump people. Meanwhile, he's not calling you at home. Man, this is a quote. Uh, this is from The Observer. Beto has youth pastor energy, that's for sure, but youth pastors never want to stay youth pastors. They always want to be senior pastors. The thing is, most of them never should be. Ouch. Um, oh, that's from an Obama uh, advisor talking about uh, Beto O'Rourke. Yikes. Um, I, okay, well, I want to move on. I, I want to move on to the Gwinnett Marta situation and give you an update on fetal heartbeat legislation when we come back. Uh, and we'll take your phone calls as well. 404-872-0750-1800 WSB talk. Let me spend just a moment here though. And mention Ben Sass and Tom Tillis and their vote against the president. They voted for the resolution in the Senate against the shutdown. The amazing thing to me in that regard is that Tom Tillis actually wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post saying he was against it and then suddenly came out in favor of it. And uh, uh, Ben Sass had also said he didn't write an op-ed, but Sass had come out and said there is no there's a crisis, but there's not an emergency. And then he voted with the president's side against the resolution. A lot of, excuse me, a lot of SAS supporters. I'm one of them. I I very much like Ben Sass, and I was disappointed with his vote. He's kind of the guy who you, you look to. He stands on principle, no matter the cost, and here he is doing this. I'm told behind the scenes that this was part of a larger deal, that the president doesn't care for Sass per se because Sass confronts him, but he begrudgingly respects Ben Sass. And the White House would come to Sass's aid in 2020 if there is a primary challenge to him in exchange for Ben Sass going with the president on this vote. So that's why Sass did what he did. And the moral of the story here is that he's a politician and politicians are bound to disappoint you. If you believe that all politicians, that there are some politicians who stand on the side of right at all times and righteousness at all times and conviction at all times, Sass has to do what he has to do to get reelected. And he, I'm aware that there is lots of polling in Nebraska that shows Ben Sass could not beat a candidate in a primary if the president supported the other person. So being on the president's good side on this vote when it matters can get Sass reelected. So the question for those of you who like Ben Sass is, would you rather Ben Sass vote the, the right way, the way you think you should have voted and lose in 2020, or do this and win in 2020 and live to fight another day? And I get the disappointment from people, but there are people out there today who say, oh, screw Ben Sass. He just uh, to, to heck with Ben Sass. Uh, we can't stay. He's just, he's just like the rest of them now. Really? Listen, we have two problems in American politics. One is the willingness to create cults of personality around politicians. The other is a refusal to show grace and understanding to people. And both of these are colliding in the Ben Sass situation. And it's kind of sad to see. Now, when we come back on Tuesday, voters in Gwinnett County will be asked to sign on to MARTA. I think they should. I want to tell you why even though it looks like it probably will lose. We'll explain. It is the second hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News here on WSB. Welcome back. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, on Tuesday, voters in Gwinnett County are going to be asked to um, expand their sales tax uh, in order to bring MARTA into the county. It's been rather controversial, and there has been a lot of skepticism over the years among Republicans about MARTA and bringing MARTA into counties. Cobb, of course, has has famously uh, tried forever to block it. Y'all, I am increasingly in favor of expanding heavy rail transport systems. 
and I will tell you why I am. And any one of you listening right now in your car, look to your left and look to your right. There ain't any more land out there to add lanes to these interstates around here. And we continue to have people come into Georgia. We continue to have a massively expanded population base and very limited potential for surface transportation infrastructure growth. If you want to continue to be able to drive into your office in Midtown, downtown Atlanta, Buckhead from the suburbs, we've got to do something. I do not support and am vehemently against light rail proposals. Um, light rail proposals, to me, they, they're always money losers. Light rail is basically, if you've ever been, been to Hartsfield and you take the little the little tram between, that's light rail. There are, uh, or for example, the, um, oh, the, the, the streetcar of no desire downtown, that, that would be considered light rail. Uh, heavy rail are the, the bigger trains that MARTA runs, most subway systems around the world run. And frankly, we spend taxpayer money to build roads. We can spend taxpayer money to uh, dig tunnels and put heavy rail trains on to bring people back and forth to their work. Uh, Atlanta is a world-class city with not even a third-world transportation system, and that's a problem. I mean, I've been to third-world countries that have better subway systems than Atlanta. I, I never got it. As someone who moved to Georgia in the in the 90s to go to college, I never understood why Atlanta, it, it went up and down, and it went across. That was it. North, south, east, west, nothing else. Uh, that always made no sense to me. You go to Washington, you go to New York, uh, you, you go to Paris, you go to London, you go to Chicago. They've got these uh, transportation systems, heavy rail systems that allow people to move around so you're not dependent on a car. And here, and it, this is a Southern thing I realize, we have the system where we expand roads. And as a free market capitalist, I'm totally okay with roads. The problem is if we're going to expand any more roads in our area, we're going to take people's private land and we're going to have to close down businesses. Private businesses are going to be uprooted and it's going to be super, super expensive uh, with eminent domain. I was an eminent domain lawyer for the Department of Transportation for a number of years, worked at a law firm in Macon where we represented the DOT and I was always having to go out and we were always having to file eminent domain petitions, take people's land, build more highways. We were taking Kaolin pits in middle Georgia, which you would think Kaolin pits were gold mines. Uh, the way local juries would assess the value and, and make us pay. We can't do that in the Gwinnett. Have you been through Spaghetti Junction? It's a wreck 24-7. It's a mess. I mean, I go up there sometimes. If i got to do a TV hit, sometimes there's a huge satellite facility uh, right off of uh, 285 at 85. And it's like 35 miles an hour through there at 9 p.m. on a Sunday night because there's so much traffic. So the heavy rail would be an extension to Jimmy Carter Boulevard in 85. It would take time to do it, but it would take people as, as the population grows in the Gwinnett County Corridor. It would over time funnel those people into heavy rail to be able to get downtown while not adding cars to highways where we have no more room to add lanes. They would also, I like this idea, and we're seeing this come to fruition on 75 now with a designated separate highway for the 18-wheelers, they would do it for buses. So you would have commuter buses, essentially trains on rubber tires uh, over the next five to 10 years that would be a bus rapid transit system. So they would be separated from the other lanes of traffic, uh, which, is a, which is a great idea. So I was a member of the American Council of Journey. I guess I still am technically. Went over a, a young leaders conference to Munich and Berlin years ago. And one of the guys I was with worked for Free Market Think Tank in D.C. Uh, who studied rail, was very antagonistic like I am to light rail. In fact, he kind of solidified my thoughts on light rail. But on heavy rail, he noted that one of the things that we've gotten wrong in the past and one of the reasons that has spurred conservative opposition to rail is what happens is you get into these areas that do this and you have these massive parking lots for people to get on, on the subway system. 
because of local rezoning issues. They don't actually rezone for apartments and uh, more condensed housing in areas, so all that you can build are these parking garages. Well, one of the things that's going to happen with the Gwinnett uh, MARTA situation, if it passes, is that it'll allow those areas where there are the, the MARTA stops to rezone those areas. So you're not just going to get huge parking decks and parking lots. You'll actually be able to get these micro cities, if you will, like Avalon or, or Atlantic Station, which if you drive the Gwinnett Corridor, it's very curious. You have these going up 400 now with Avalon and others. You've got these great areas where you've got restaurants, you've got shopping, you've got businesses, and you, you've got uh, living spaces all together in one area. And you go up in Gwinnett, up the 85 quarter, you really don't have anything like that. It's just strip mall, shopping mall, strip mall, shopping mall, gas station, gas station, gas station. Um, and it could be rethought uh, with the zoning that comes with this. I, listen, I just I think it's a good idea, and I understand Republican skepticism of this. And let's be really honest here, if we can. Some of the skepticism is about demographics. Guess what, Republicans in Gwinnett County, I, I'm only talking to the Republicans in Gwinnett County now. The demographics of Gwinnett County are shifting, whether you believe it or not. You should believe it. Look what happened in 2018. If Republicans want to have any sort of say in mass transit in Gwinnett County, this is the time to approve it. This is the time to go along with the Marto expansion. So there are still those of you around who will have some say in how it's implemented. Because I can tell you that if you don't do it now, it's going to come back. And the demographics are continuing to shift in Gwinnett County. And I am not a demography is destiny guy. But I think a lot of the people in Gwinnett County have decided that. And they're not even trying to make an effort. They just assume that Gwinnett County is going to flip to the Democrats. Well, you know, if you're not doing anything to to work on the problems, everyone up there knows traffic's a disaster. Everyone knows it's going to get worse. And you're dragging your feet and saying, oh, no, we, we, we don't care. Just take people's land and build more roads. You're going to get shut out of the conversation. So if you want to be a part of the conversation, if you want to be a part of the future of shaping Gwinnett County and how it embraces the inevitable, vote for MARTA on Tuesday and play a role in shaping what comes next. Because it's coming. And I think it's time for it to come. I think it's time for Republicans in heavily congested suburban areas where there's a ton of commuting into an urban area for jobs, like Gwinnett County people moving into Atlanta for jobs. It's time to support something like this and show that we can responsibly maintain it, build it, grow it, and foster it, as opposed to just digging in our heels and saying, no, 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 until the people pass you by. Because the alternative is taking your good private business owner's land and paving it over. And at this point, in that area of Gwinnett County, it's going to be really expensive to do, and no one's going to wind up doing it. And all you're going to have is more gridlock and 20-mile-an-hour commutes both ways. So go vote for Mart on Tuesday. I have to tell you guys that I have used my Quip Electric Toothbrush for more than two years, so much so that I asked Quip, I sought them out and asked them if they would actually advertise on my radio show because I love them so much. And so now you listening to the podcast can get the ad as well because I really do like the Quip Electric Toothbrush. I've used it for about two years. The things I like about the Quip Electric Toothbrush are that it doesn't have a huge fat handle that makes it hard to hold. It's the size of a regular toothbrush. It doesn't have a charger that you have to carry with you when you travel. It works on a AAA battery, and every three months, they send you a new brush head. So the brush head stays fresh. Even though the body stays the same, you can get it in multiple colors. They send you a new AAA battery when they send you the brush head, and the brush heads are only 5 bucks. It's a great toothbrush. It is designed by dentists and designers together, and you can tell. That's why I love the Quip. They're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals, and they start at just $25. If you go to getquip.com slash Eric right now, you'll get your first brush head refill pack for free with the Quip Electric Toothbrush. So you get your first refill pack for free by going to getquip.com slash Eric. That's getquip.com slash Eric. Alrighty, let us go to the phone, shall we? Alicia is calling us. Welcome, Alicia. Hi, 
Eric. Hi there. Hey. Hey, my name is actually pronounced Alicia. Alicia. Well, thank you. Very good. Yeah. And yes, I, I'm a bit surprised to know that you are in support of um, this referendum. Um, after having seen and spoken with a number of national experts in the area of transit and, shall we say, um, uh, reducing traffic congestion in various municipalities, I'm surprised that you are supporting this referendum. Well, look, I think that we can't add any more roads in the Gwinnett County area. Uh, anybody who's driven through the 285-85 corridor knows that there's nowhere to go. Now, are there other things we can do as well? Well, yes, uh, we can add uh, separate highways for the buses. That's what this referendum does. Uh, we can add increased bus transportation. That's what this referendum does. Uh, we can add increased carpooling services. That's what the referendum does. We can add increased uh, parking for people who are in commuting. That's what this referendum does. And it also adds heavy rail. It doesn't add light rail. It doesn't add streetcars like downtown. It doesn't add some of the little little uh, on the street or by the side of the street commuter rails you see in, in some cities that I think are actually are a waste of taxpayer money and plenty of studies show are a waste of taxpayer money. But what it does do is it would add extend the MARTA line up to Jimmy Carter Boulevard. It would add heavy rail, that uh, trains that can go fast and carry a lot of people and get them downtown. And it can get them to the airport as well from Gwinnett County, uh, tapping into the Marta Line. I'm not opposed to subway systems. Go to any major city on earth, those worth of salt, and what do they have? They have a subway system. New York, London, Paris, Chicago. Of course, Chicago is mostly above ground. Uh, they, they've got good rapid transit systems. And we don't. We have MARTA that goes up and down and side to side. And they've got the little, they've got the yellow line branch that you're not allowed to call the yellow line. It's got to be the gold line because people thought it was racist back when they, that was one of the dumbest things ever. Nonetheless, I think this is worthwhile. And I think it takes a lot of people off the roads. We'll provide an opportunity to take people off the roads. And frankly, it's going to happen. It is going to happen. The question is, do conservatives want to play a role in it happening or do they want to put it off another couple of years until they're shut out of politics in Gwinnett County and let the Democrats have their way with it? Um, I think, you know, people who believe in free markets probably should play a role in this. So yeah, I'm totally in favor of the Gwinnett Marta vote and I hope you'll support it on Tuesday. having some technical difficulties so you can save your phone calls <laughs> sorry uh, we'll have to make it up to you on monday um i want to move into other issues uh, in fact i, I want to go back to some degree to the climate walkout i mentioned that in the first hour the students in new york city walking out of classrooms because they're all gonna die i Y'all, this sits wrong with me. It really does. Um, when left-wing activists are telling their kids they have no hope, that the world is going to end unless they do something, I mean, what does it do psychologically to a child? Uh, this is a relatively new phenomenon as well of parents uh, making their kids be pawns in their political struggle to this degree where they're fed off of social media that didn't exist 20 years ago to scare their kids and convince them they're all going to die unless they do something that probably isn't going to get done. It's just, it's sad to see. Uh, it bothers me. Now, uh, other story that we need to discuss is Joe Biden. The president, I think it's safe to say, has better instincts than some of the people advising him. Uh, there are people close to the president, according to the Politico, that are telling the president Joe Biden's not an issue, he's going to lose, he's not going to be the Democratic nominee, and the president is fretful of Biden running. And the president does not take seriously the... Um, does not take seriously the... the 
idea that Biden can't make it through the Democratic primary. And I think the president's right on this. Joe Biden is the candidate who would give Donald Trump a run for his money more than any other. Now, listen, I, I got to stop here because I know there are people listening right now who've never run campaigns before. And, and I think that anecdote is data who can't see this. But here's what you need to understand. Joe Biden has a terribly tragic life. His wife and uh, some of his children killed in a terrible accident, uh, burned to death. His son died of brain cancer. His second wife uh, devoted herself to raising his surviving children as her own children. She, behind the scenes, a second lady of the United States, went almost on a near daily basis to uh, Walter F. Reed uh, or Walter Reed Medical Facility and spent time out of the limelight, away from cameras, without ever talking to the media about it, with wounded and disabled soldiers. Biden himself gets and understands blue-collar voters. He, he likes them. He enjoys the camaraderie with them. He connects with them. He understands the dignity of work. He understands that there are Democrats who have downplayed the dignity of work. Uh, and these are people who voted for Barack Obama, and some of them did so in part because of Joe Biden. And without them on the ticket in 2016, they went to Donald Trump. And Biden thinks, and I think he's right, that he's the guy who can get them back for the Democrats. Kamala Harris can't. Beto O'Rourke can't. Robert Francis. Uh, Cory Booker is not going to be able to. Bernie Sanders certainly isn't going to be able to. And he thinks he's the guy who can do it. I would not discount Joe Biden, and I think the president is right to worry and fret about Joe Biden, and I think his advisors who are dismissing Joe Biden are wrong. I mean, maybe the president and I are wrong, but I'm with the president on this completely. I, I think Biden is a threat to the president's reelection in a way that none of the other Democrats are, and the president understands this. And, I mean, we're all gambling on how far left have the Democrats gone. I mean, they are going to destroy Joe Biden. They are going to drop unbelievable opposition research on Joe Biden. Y'all, they're going to drop on Joe Biden the hearings over Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas after the Brett Kavanaugh situation, radicalizing further a number of Democrats, uh, they are going to drop that on him. They are going to to come after him on that because Joe Biden was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and he did not believe Anita Hill. And he was willing to confirm Clarence Thomas. He thought it was a left-wing hit job. And Joe Biden used to be pro-life. Shh. Don't tell anybody. Joe Biden is Catholic. And Joe Biden used to be one of the pro-life Democrats. It was only after 1988 when Joe Biden thought he wanted to run for president that he began to shift left on life issues. But he was still willing to confirm Clarence Thomas to ensure a pro-life majority, or at least he thought pro-life majority on the Supreme Court. That is going to be what the Democrats go after. But it may take him out. I mean, the Democrats may very well take him out. The president's advisors may be right that Biden is toast. But when you look at the underlying data within the Democratic Party, majority of Democrats want someone who can beat Donald Trump. More than they want someone who is ideologically aligned with them, they want someone to beat Donald Trump. Joe Biden is now to the right of every single day. Think about this. Joe Biden is to the right of all the other Democrats running for president. Biden. Barack Obama's vice president is more conservative than any of the other Democrats. That's staggering in just how far left the Democrats have gone. And a majority of the Democratic primary voters want someone who aligns ideologically with them. But overall, in the Democratic Party, they want someone who can win. And Joe Biden, a lot of them think, is the guy who can win because he can pull back the people the Democrats lost. The question is, do the Democrats think that blue-collar voters are redeemable? A lot of the Democrats have it in their head now that uh, blue-collar voters, that's just code for bigoted racists. If you're a blue-collar worker, you don't have a college degree, and you're white, you're probably a racist. You're probably complicit in the shooting in New Zealand, according to a lot of these people. Now, that's not true. You and I both know it's not true, but that's the level of vindictive pettiness within the Democratic Party now. The question is, are they willing to recognize they need 
this part of the coalition back to beat Donald Trump or not. Uh, because Donald Trump, what we're seeing, the data shows Donald Trump uh, has greater loyalty among Democrats or a greater loyalty among Republicans than any one of the Democratic candidates has with the Democratic Party. If the president can hold his base and the Democrats get someone who spooks moderate voters, independent voters, the few independent voters there actually are, well, guess what? It's game over and Donald Trump wins re-election and he knows it. So Disney has invited James Gunn to come back for Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Remember, they fired him after some sort of harassment allegation or something from years ago. They they're finally decided they're letting him come back, which I thought he didn't need to be tossed to begin with. Um, maybe he'll make Guardians of the Galaxy 3 better than number two because number two was not nearly as good as number one. Uh, here's your random note of the day. Uh Alan Sanders is going to be in for me on Monday. I am going to be here, so I can't be here. Huh? <laughs> so my my daughter has a an Atlanta field trip. They're going to the aquarium and to CNN and, and several other places and WSB. So I'm going to be here on Monday, but I'm not going to be here because I'm going to be touring the building. <laughs> With my daughter, I'm going to be the tour guide. Uh, we may crash. We may crash WSB TV during the news. We, we may just bust up in the studio uh, while they're live on TV. Have a have a bunch of uh, screaming seventh graders on set and uh, rock Justin Farmer's world. <laughs> but in any event, uh, that's where I will be on Monday uh, on a tour of WSB with my daughter and her seventh grade class and CNN and the aquarium. I think there's the zoo, the cyclorama, which have you been to the cyclorama do that this weekend? The weather's going to be beautiful. Uh, go to the Atlanta history center, the cyclorama that they updated. It's supposed to be fantastic. Uh, I heard some amazing reviews. There was a great write up in the AJC about it. Uh, so head over to the cyclorama. It's on West paces. Now the Atlanta history center, uh, well worth doing. And of course, stone mountain this weekend or the North Georgia mountains for this beautiful weather. It's not going to rain this weekend so you should get out of your house and put on a face mask to avoid all the pollen i'm still suffering the effects of it but we got to go to soccer in the morning so you guys have a great weekend enjoy the weather and i will see you i guess on tuesday except for you in the building i'll see you people on monday